This is Wayne McCullough reporting in from Dallas, Texas at KPEX Studios, K-E-P-X, with Kevin Eberling producing us today. Very excited to have you all listen to the podcast. This is the fourth podcast of my entire life as the host of The Simple Talk. And this is my second guest. If you've been listening, you followed my brother's story, in, which actually ties into to what Noel Boucher and I will talk a little bit about today, which is brokenness and redemption and forgiveness and grace. But really excited to have this good friend, Noel Boucher, on. We, through pure, what I would call a God wink, got to know each other. So Noel Boucher is, um, runs a nonprofit here in town called Pure Hope, and they do some incredible work, and I'm going to let him elaborate on that. But it, what's been really fun for me is to just watch the arc and the genesis of our friendship, as well as the reach that we just talked about today, that it's, it's the six degrees of separation that just keeps growing and growing. So to paint a quick picture, um, Noel would be a combination of Keena Reeves and Tom Cruise. I think we're a little bit more with the Keena Reeves look right now with the long hair and the Jesus sandals. I thought this um, was we, were, we were podcasting, so we didn't have to we're gonna, describe the visuals. Right? Kevin's going to put some pictures up okay. as well. I was I was singing Christian Bale earlier. So right, said, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's a, a good spot. point. So, um, so I'm a very nondescript individual, is, is what you're no. saying. Um, so what, you know, this is really my second time, but just a little bit of background of where you are today, and then we can jump into our relationship, and then where, where, your, where Pure Hope is, and where that direction is, and what you're doing currently in your life. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, bro. Uh, it feels like doing a podcast together is both timely and long overdue mm-hmm. uh, uh, simultaneously. So uh, I know this is going to be a great conversation, and uh, I know it's going to impact a lot of people just because you know the, our friendship has so deeply impacted us. And, mm-hmm. and anytime that happens with, with, with any of us, the ripple effects of that um, create, uh, uh, you know, incredible influence. And mm-hmm. so glad to be on the podcast. I know it's already touching people's lives and, uh, thank you just not just for the invite, but for the courage to do this. Uh, it's a big undertaking, but real quick about myself. Uh, we live here, uh, in the Metroplex. Uh, my wife and I, uh, Dr. Vanessa Boucher, uh, have been married next year for 20 years. So we're getting close to a big one. We have two daughters, 11 and eight. Um, we, uh, actually are high school sweethearts. So we've been together a little bit longer than that, even, and uh, just really grateful, you know, uh, we, we're, we're in a good season right now, and relationships are hard for reasons that we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. and we've been through, in our marriage and in our friendship, as almost every marriage and friendship has, we've been uh, on mountaintops and in valleys, and uh, right now, uh, I'm grateful for where we're at, and we'll talk about some of the ways that we kind of walk through it, but, um, you know, going back all the way, I guess, give a picture of how I got to uh, this place and how our, our friendship developed. But I, gr- I grew up in, in the Midwest, mm-hmm. so not a native Texan. Uh, got here as fast as I could, I think, as the bumper sticker yeah. goes. Uh, but uh, we've actually been here for seven years, and it's a second tour in Texas for us. So we did graduate school down in Austin and then uh, in 2012 moved here. But but grew up in the Midwest, and um, you know I think our origin stories impact all of us, uh, uh, and, and understanding those origin stories, uh, the family of origin, our experiences as children and adolescents, that's part of the healing process, and we'll, we'll talk about that. For me, uh, I was the oldest child uh, uh, of three kids, uh, grew up in a really good family, but like every family, you know, um, problems and hurdles to overcome and obstacles, and sometimes those things don't play out for years later, and uh, I think right now, I, I, something, I'm, I'm, some things are being revealed to me of how... how 
you know, that environment shaped me and how now I'm being reshaped in many ways. But I grew up the oldest child, so that gives you a little picture. Uh, mm. My father was my high school football coach, so there's another detail that kind of is starting to paint a picture. For anyone who's in the know on, uh, you know, personality stuff, I'm an INFJ and a one on the Enneagram, mm-hmm. which I'll come back to because that's been really, uh, really uh, uh, helpful to understand that about, about how I'm wired. You know, this is something that you and I have talked a lot about over the last six years of our friendship, you know, understanding who we are. Uh, our identity, and all these are pieces of it. And so, you know, that's how I grew up. Firstborn, um, played played a lot of sports, uh, specifically played quarterback for my dad, who was a football coach. And I think um, one thing that did in me was create a very performance-oriented approach to life. And uh, um, and it's not a it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we're going to unpack. It's not a good thing. Um, but, but it's also something that, uh, can be healed and it's something that wasn't even wrong sometimes, you know, it's something that just happens and, and then we have to understand what that did to us. And so growing up very performance oriented and felt I had to keep everything on the straight and narrow. It was kind of put on me just because of my role in the family and and how my personality adapted to that. Mm. Uh, and, and both in school and socially and in sports, uh, that played out and, and it did through college too, went on and played college ball. Um, and then I had a real big pivot. Uh, this was kind of the, uh, the, the, uh, the crossroads, I think, has been a couple in my life. I'm 42, so I'm sure I've got a couple more to go. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm watching you for, uh, for tips and pointers along the way. But, um, you know, you've got your five Fs. And right. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I think yeah, and so let me – I usually start with that. With this. Start with and, the five Fs. I'm going to talk well, about my three we, Fs. We intersect on all these, what I love, which is faith family, friends, really, because Jewel would be a family connection, exactly. faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances, right? The big five. And that's what we base the show on. And and you're going to cross a lot of those today, which I love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about all of them. But growing up, so you've expanded my vocabulary. I grew up with the three Fs, which are faith, family, and football. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little uh, kind of subculture. Right. And, and grew up in that. And I think, you know, when my college days came to an end, I graduated. I'm not playing ball anymore uh, because I was in a relationship with my uh, my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and she was out on the East Coast. It was a it was a, a big crossroads. What was I going to do? And also, how was I going to respond to my identity changing? Because now all of a sudden, one of those pillars wasn't there anymore. You know, in my case, as a as a 22 year old, sports wasn't in the picture anymore. Mm-hmm. Something that had dominated and, and been a fundamental part of my identity, um, in all good ways. I thought. I mean, growing up, it was like, hey, faith, family, football. So that means you know, be good to people, love your family love God, and by the way, then go throw some touchdowns and, uh, you know, give thanks to Jesus afterwards. And, and that's great. That's called using your platform. That's called being an influence. That's called all these things. But what happens in our life is things get interwoven. Uh, and, and, and what can happen is we don't see it happening, but they can become idols. When our identity is wrapped around something, some way uh, that's, that's detracting us ultimately from who we really are and who we've been designed to be, uh, it becomes limiting. And that's what I realized. I moved up to New York, man, and all of a sudden I'm a tiny fish in a, in a big pond. But I'll tell you, um, for anyone who's going through a, a transition right now, anyone who's listening and is uh, everything's just kind of up in the air, you feel like nothing's stable, those are, are some of the most important times in our lives. And while we're in it, we feel like it's chaos, and, and certainly I've done something wrong, or I've got to fix this immediately to, to find tranquility. But if we can just rest in those periods, those transitions where the, you know, the, the oceans are choppy and we don't have certainty, 
um, what's going to happen is we're going to grow. Uh, because anytime we transition, literally, it means to step across, naturally our perspective is going to be shifted. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a good thing because we can get stuck in ruts. And, and, and more than that, you know, healthy things grow and growing things change. And so if I'm healthy and I'm growing, things are going to change, including my understanding of myself. That happened for me when, uh, when I moved to New York. All of a sudden, I had nothing that I used to have. And I was a young you know, kid, but... Uh, all of a sudden, all I had was, man, who am I and who am I in relation to my creator mm-hmm. and my redeemer? And all of a sudden, my eyes were attuned to things they weren't before. And it was really, really uh, liberating. And that's about the time we got married. So I had a lot of change going on. We got married. And that was really, really formative because all of a sudden, things that were part of my personality and uh, even skill set that couldn't come out in, in, in previous you know, stages of my life, now were being exposed. Interests that I didn't know I had were coming out and uh, was able to explore those. And, um, you know, I think th- I'm going to skip ahead through this part real quick to get mm-hmm. to how we connected. But one thing that, that came out was, man, I really have a heart for seeing wrongs righted. I really have a heart. I want to see justice. I want to see, uh, I have compassion for those who are suffering or being exploited or suffering silently um, to find life. And so, Right around that time, we read a book on the existence and reality and magnitude of, of the global sex trade and of human trafficking, and it really wrecked us. And uh, we said, we got we to gotta, we gotta approach this subject. We got to do something about this. We got to uh, walk a path that will help us make a difference here. And it really provided passion and purpose at that stage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to skip ahead, it led us to Texas, uh, to, to law school in my case. My wife got a graduate degree. Um, but then led us on a journey uh, in this issue, this issue of sexual exploitation and sexual brokenness that ultimately connected us Mm -hmm. in a really, really profound way. I'll let you comment if you want to, because I still remember the night when when we were first in the same room, and I still remember the phone call the next day. (laughs) I know. I always wish you had that original. I kept it for a long time. I said, we got to move on. Well, and just so, just to digress, but Vanessa is still working in that space specifically the sex trafficking space, correct? Yeah, my and wife is a professor, and her research agenda yeah. is all on human trafficking policy, and, uh, and and we're doing some new things around that right now. Right. Yeah. So So you called me the next day after we met at an event in Dallas because your younger sister-in-law was yes. interning with our nonprofit that I had now uh, been put into the lead of. And uh, we, we had a talk at a coffee shop. We had someone share their experience of being exploited, and mm-hmm. you courageously picked up the phone, and yeah. called me the next day. Yeah, so, and I talked about a little bit in episode two, just like anybody, I have ebb and flows of when I want to get really involved in things, or, but what, I, what I've tried to do more is be more Holy Spirit-led, which is God will press me forward when the time's right, it, and it usually will happen when I have no capacity to do anything, which creates uncomfort for everybody, including my wife and myself, but it just is what it is. So, it is actually a little bit further than that. Jewel had sent a follow-up email about that evening. And I'm a, as I said in that the second podcast, I am a zero-inbox person. So every single email will get answered, deleted, or filed at some point. And I will always answer an email. I'd let that sit for maybe a week. And somewhere in that email was this grainy video that, that Tony Anderson, who I reference often, had made. And that's what just rocked my world for lack of a better term and then i frantically scrolled through the email and found your phone number because you spoke that night didn't even tell Julie i was doing this and called you and it's, you recollection is you know this is wayne mccullough you don't know who i am 
that's a good thing, but we need to connect. Or that film needs to get made, something along those lines. And I'll tell you, man, that phone call, um, I want to I want to hang on that because it was the beginning of our friendship. Yeah. It was the beginning of your influence on my life. And it started with a phone call that said, I, this is who I am and you don't know me and that's great, but I want to get to know you. And what happened in that moment for me was made sure I called you back immediately, first of all. But here's someone reaching out, taking the time to reach out, who doesn't even know me, who, who's looking to, to see how I'm doing and how he can help. And that is is so crucial to, I think, both of our journeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for many of us who are walking through something, I mean, right now, some of us are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and we don't have someone reaching out. We don't have someone we think we can call. Some of us just had someone reach out. It's transformative. It breaks through the isolation of, of the secrets in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I felt that in that moment, even though it was kind of project-related. I knew it was going to be something great because we were at a moment where we're like, hey, you know, we're on the cusp of something here. Um, you know, for myself, I had been through a couple of valleys. We, our marriage had been attacked and really had walked through issues in our relationships and extended family depression and, and the isolation that creates because, you know, things, the, the effects of our brokenness don't just affect us. It's not just I'm going through depression. If, if I am, someone else who's in relationship with me is also being affected by that. Mm-hmm. And that creates its own isolation. And I think one thing that you and I have journeyed through and we've discovered is that, um, we all need community. We all need someone reaching out. We need to take the first steps toward that, but we, no matter where we are, and, and, and some of us look really good on the outside, we're struggling on the inside, and, and that's sometimes the most dangerous place is when there's not those indicators. So when you reached out, it was transformative uh, for me. And at that point, you know, um, I'd already been through a lot. Like I, I recognized that uh, when, when I went to, so I went to law school. And the reason I went to law school is because we discovered an issue, a problem. And the response was, hey, we got to do something about this. It was a very kind of type A, mm-hmm. proactive, American, Western yeah. kind of approach. You know, here's this thing. We need to go do something about it. And what happened is, as we, my wife and I together, and then individually, we kind of approached it. It was we, we realized there's something underneath it, you know. Okay, so here's this thing: human sex trade and the exploitation of women and children. But there's something underneath it. There's behaviors underneath it, which in this case are broken behaviors, you know, exploitative behaviors. And so my eyes started to get open to that. That wow, you know, we want to we see these big injustices, but at the root of it, you know, individuals that are hurting. And uh, that, that really changed our approach and led me to Pure Hope, which is, which is how we met, a ministry focused on addressing our sexual brokenness, and especially for parents and other influencers who are leaders, how do we walk through that to find healing and then steward those lives around us, namely our kids, especially as mm-hmm. parents. That's really the focus of our, of our ministry and everything that we're, that we're about. But in that journey, I'll kind of get to some layers here of what I've discovered through this. It starts with an issue, you know, here's this problem, then there's behaviors that drive it. Okay, a lot of us stop at the behaviors, we try to fix those. A lot of our associations do, or even churches. But there's something underneath the behaviors, and that's identity. And that, you've already talked about the Heart of Man film, that's that's what that was all about, mm-hmm. was say, who are we? And how does the brokenness or the pain in my identity that, you know, my 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 shame, my lack of worth, how does that drive all these behaviors and, and, and how I contribute uh, to the darkness, as it were, as I've heard you talk about. Uh, but I'm going to skip ahead to the next step because underneath identity is something else, and that's relationship. And this comes back to your five Fs because as I've been thinking about mm-hmm. joining you for this podcast, everything is about relationship. Everything ultimately is about who we are in relationship with one another. And that's what's been transformative 
for me, uh, over the course of the last five years, particularly, man, walking through just new challenges, walking through the course of bringing a film to the mm. world that has literally touched hundreds of thousands of lives, uh, is how much I need relationship. And, and my brokenness fights it every day. I mean, every day I wake up, I just want to isolate. I really do. Uh, so pushing into the relationships, courageously stepping so, into that. L- let me hop in. I pulled this note out because I'm working on a podcast that will be much solo, but it's something that I'm like, I believe you talked to me about a vertical relationship with God versus a horizontal. Did, is that right? Did you? Did we talk about that one time? Sounds right. Yeah. So, but I think that get what I'm trying. I'm not running along with God. God is in me, and it's this. Can you talk about that a little bit? What that? I can't remember exactly. Over coffee, you, we talked about this one day. Well, I think the. So I'm thinking that brings to my mind the the relationship between the vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship right. with each other. Yeah. And how those are tied together. Okay. Uh, how it is all about relationship, and um, you know, uh, I think there's three things that keep us from relationship. And you and I've talked about this in the past, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I'll throw them out here because these are the things I've struggled with, and um, I've seen a lot of men, a lot of women struggle with these three things, and that's fear, guilt, and shame. Uh, I think those are the weapons. We have a spiritual adversary, and those are really the weapons uh, that uh, that are there. And they're all the thing is, they're all deceptions, like they're all lies. Um, and yet they're powerful if we if we believe those lies. If we don't have kind of the uh, uh, the um, ability and perspective to see them, but fear, guilt, and shame are what keep me keep me locked up as a person. Mm-hmm. And fear is something I've been doing a lot of like just a lot of uh, things have been revealed to me. And it's really transforming me in many ways because I realize fear is not just the absence of courage. Fear is about self preservation. Like when 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 a stimuli comes, what fear is is me trying to protect myself to self-protect. And that's why we put up barriers. That's why we wear masks. That's why we hide. And, uh, you know, the Bible says the antidote to that is not courage, it's love, because love is self-giving. So that's that's what I've learned is that, man, when I'm afraid, that could be, hey, man, finances are looking tight, cash flow is looking lean. Is this business going to succeed? Am I going to be outed, you know, mm-hmm. as an imposter? Uh, are we going to face c- catastrophe or illness? Uh when I'm tempted to self-protect and isolate, I need to, I need to give. And that's relational. That's relational. To, to give of myself, I need to have someone I'm giving to. And that's, um, that's brought me out of a lot because, man, as a, as, a, as a firstborn, as a lawyer by training, as a one on the Enneagram, I'm, I'm, I'm very naturally risk-averse and prone to just do, trying to do what's responsible and look respectable and keep up that front and keep up that, that kind of persona. And... Um, so, so you would say the antidote to fear is love, correct? Yeah. But what I discover most Christians or believers miss is that it's okay to love yourself. They think that's a Buddhist or Zen, right? But it's biblical. Love yourself, right? And you've got to start there, and that's identity too. Right? Totally. If you don't love yourself, how can you love anybody else? Yeah. And if you don't, we, I mean, the word we usually use is shame. Because right. shame is that thing that I'm not worthy that I'm not worthy of love. Right. And, and that's like, that's rooted in our hearts and our minds. So it starts with ourselves. So stepping out of that shame and recognize, I am worthy of love. I was with a dude just this week in another region of the country, He's 60, almost 65 years old, very successful guy, told me a story how his father, when this guy was seven years old, over 60, you know, 60 some years ago, his father turned to him and said, I'm ashamed of you. And this had locked him in a journey for, for, for his whole life of feeling that he wasn't worthy of love. 
and he's still wrestling with it. Even as he's ministering to other people, he's still wrestling with that. Uh, and, and that's how, you know, abuse, that's how shame comes into our life usually, is someone, there's either abuse or abandonment in some way, but that voice lingers, that's, that inner voice, and mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of Somebody it. Somebody set the narrative for him. And, and, and man, I think all of us have had that narrative set. Oh, no question. I mean, I, I, it's, I have to wake up every day and really say, I'm a beloved son. I am a beloved son. I'm beloved. And, and I've got nothing to prove, and I can rest in that. And, and that transforms how I relate to every other person in every other circumstance in my day. If I believe I'm beloved and worthy, life and goodness will flow out of me. Not perfection, but, but light, as, as I hear you say a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and if not, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a downward spiral. But so many of us uh, need to know how beloved right. we are, so worthy. You were talking about fear, shame, and guilt is kind of the big three, right? Yeah. So shame just continue down that path yeah so guilt is like i've done something wrong right i'm guilty and uh shame is not that i've done something wrong but i am wrong so you've got mm -hmm. this this trifecta this unholy you know trinity of of the temptation to self-protect the sense that i have done things wrong i've failed i don't measure up and then third, that I am wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. And, and, and I think shame, the answer to that is simply community and relationship because mm -hmm. we're never going to get to that place ultimately um, where we truly believe that we're worthy until we sense that. And that's set up in Scripture, right? You know, love one another. It's for myself, but it's also for that other person. And that's, that's how God has chosen to touch all of us. He could mm -hmm. just like drop it spiritually, but he said, I want to do it through you all. So you become a light to the world. Guilt, the answer to it, I think, the place I've come to is simply confession. There's a couple of verses around that. Confess your sins one to another. But even more than like sins and getting into, you know, you know moral failings, it's just speaking what we're really thinking in, in, into one another. Because what happens when we do that is we realize we're not alone and, and, and there is, there's forgiveness. It's going to be okay. Uh, because I know that's where I get, I get stuck. I went through kind of a mini depression about four years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't recognize it as such while I was in it. Um, but I, just, I couldn't get out of bed for like three days. And it was the end of the year, and it was getting cold, and it was the middle of fundraising season. And I, I realized that it was really a depletion. Mm -hmm. I had to run myself to where I was just depleted. And after that, I came out of it, and I, I started sharing that with people. And... Um, I remember sitting with one guy. I said, "Man, I'm just feeling like as a leader, I've got nothing to give. I'm, 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 I'm tempted to be fearful every day. You feel like a fake too, right? And, I'm, a, and I'm, a, I'm faking it until yeah. I say to you, this is what I'm feeling. And, right. and I remember this one guy, and this, this played out multiple times over just kind of as I came out of that season. He looked at me and said, you too? Mm. And it was a guy that, as we sat down for coffee, man, we're just keeping it light. And he looks like everything's together. Probably everything he's doing is succeeding. You know, that's my mindset as I'm not yet into this relationship and he says you too and i know you've experienced that just as many times mm -hmm. more as i have that when we open that door to, to confess it literally means just to share to speak you know with faith to speak to someone mm -hmm. uh it it transforms what before that was guilt and guilt by the way man this is something that transformed me uh, a couple of years ago and I, i'm using the word a lot but i feel like that, that's a great word because we are being formed into something else through you know uh through this this journey that we're on and um, I read an article in the Harvard Business Review, of all places, and was talking about the curse of the high achiever. And I walked through the article, and there was like 10 bullet points in the middle of it that said, this is what high achievers 
you know, high achievers are achieving a lot, so we kind of celebrate them. But here's the curse. Here's the dark side of that. Here's, here's the stumbling blocks. And it went through all these things. And the last thing was guilt. It said high achievers struggle with a continual, sometimes debilitating sense of guilt. Because no matter how much you do, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's never enough. It's, it's the hamster wheel. And well, that reminds me a little bit of Allender. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to morph his quote to Allender. Dan Allender, who's a genius, by the way, look him up if you don't know him. And similar to abuse, what is the ROI on guilt and shame? A lifetime. A lifetime. Right? Yeah. Because you, you, you st- did you say hamster wheel a second ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're stuck on a hamster wheel. So darkness loves that because you just can't ever go. It's, it's never enough. Yeah. Yeah. And you're stuck. Yeah. You're stuck. You're, you're stifled. So, uh, so fear, guilt, and shame, those, I just kind of have, you know, hit on those are the things I think that, that, that lock us in. But the good news is there's ant, there's steps we can take. There's mm-hmm. steps we can take. When I'm tempted to self-protect and hide, let me give into that. Let me find some place and somewhere and someone to give into, because that's love. Love is not a feeling. It's not, you know, just this uh, romantic thing or even just a, a friendship thing. It's self-giving. Jesus said, friendship, love, love is laying down your life for your friends. It's an actual act of giving of my time, energy, ability, uh, and, and, and seeding that to someone else. And, um, you know, every relationship we have has a claim on that, has a claim on mm-hmm. us. And when we do that, we step out of fear. When we confess, we see guilt lifted from our shoulders. And when we have community where we can share and sit, even just like this right now, um, we gain a sense that we are worthy, mm-hmm. worthy of being loved. And hence we are loved. And so you you have to have... I'm reading a book by Bob Bodine right now, given to me by Emily Treyweek, which is called Two Chairs. Are you familiar with it? Yeah. And now I'm digging into all Bodine's work. Um, he talks about his who people, right? And you have, you have to develop those relationships somewhere, somehow. Yeah. Now, granted, we have access to our Heavenly Father, God, or the creator of the universe any time, but God still speaks us, speaks us through people. Yeah. I mean, I just believe that. So... It's, I, I encourage people out there, find that who person. Yeah, it, yeah. It, and they're out there. And, and, and relate to it. Like, yeah. like you said, he, he speaks through people. The Bible is written by people. Right. Right now we're looking at Hosea uh, with, a, with a group. And this dude was sexually broken. He was abused, abandoned, went through infidelity in his marriage. That's who God chose to write a book that, that is you know, part of the canon mm-hmm. and for thousands of years has been impacting lives and demonstrating in a totally unique way uh, an aspect of, of God's purpose for us. So it, it's it's about people and our relationships and opening up. I, you know, you and I kind of in our 40s, kind of in that midlife place, probably a lot of people listening are. And uh, I, I got the first kind of rumblings of that in my life, that kind of midlife crisis a few years ago. And, and it, the thing that really changed me about it was not just going through a crisis, but it created a humility and a compassion because I was super hard on people before that who were, who were going through the midlife crisis. Like mm-hmm. the dude, especially, I'm a man, so I'm thinking, you know, the dude who gets the cars and walks out on his family and yeah. has an affair. I'm like, you know, come on, you know, keep it together. What, what's so hard about this? But yeah. a couple of years ago, man, my heart just started to, I felt it changing. As I got closer to 40, late 30s, it was like, something's different. I feel different. I'm, I'm tempted to get energy from some other places. I'm tempted to turn back. And, and that was a point where uh, a, a, a brand new kind of source of sexual temptation in my life entered in. And it was intense. It was a very intense season. And, um, and it demanded a lot of me. But one thing I realized, and I'm so thankful for this, because people had been speaking into my life, is I needed to share that. 
And mm-hmm. so as soon as this incident happened, and it kind of spawned immediately into a, a season where there was just daily, because of a new environment, there was just daily opportunity, and hence the temptation of that opportunity. And I just started hitting people up. I remember six or seven you know, phone calls and relationships right away to say, hey, here's what's going on, man, and it's intense. You know, there's, there's a new environment, uh, there's new people, there's dreams happening, there's all kinds of things, and it's rooted in my heart. And immediately... I started to feel a sense of freedom that I wasn't alone and that I had people who would walk with me through that and, and not condemn me or not judge me, which ironically, of course, was my uh, uh, habit and MO mm-hmm. prior to that. Um, but I think it's real. And I, and I mentioned it right here during our, our journey because this is the stage of life we're in. And so I think this relates, resonates with the audience. But, you know, these things are real. A crisis is just danger meeting opportunity. It's a, it's a, it's a crossroads. And, and I think of it as danger meeting opportunity. And in our life, our life stages, you know, the crisis is that I have an opportunity to progress to this new place, this new thing, this new life stage, mm-hmm. this new opportunity. Or the danger is I'll regress. And that's the classic kind of midlife crisis. I regress. I'm going to try to go back and hold on to, to youth or however we define it. But every, every kind of crossroads is that crisis. And, and, uh, that's what I've recognized. And so now it's, it's been helpful because as I, as I walk, you know, through the years and my family's changing, my kids are growing up. So like every year now, it's a totally different relationship. Um, I'm in a place where I've got at least my eyes open to hopefully perceive that, okay, this is a fork in the road. There's an opportunity here. What, what can I seize? And what's the danger that I'm going to regress or, or turn away uh, from the path uh, in, in front of me that I want to walk down? Um, and, and that's, and that's been, again, uh, really, really helpful for me. And it's allowed me then to minister into other people's lives in that. And and I think that's the word for all of us, you know, when we're growing and, and hence changing, um, it just, it naturally bears fruit Mm -hmm. if we're going to, if we share that. So let me, let me, so the regression is interesting because one, if you do regress, it's not the end of the world. It never is. Right. But. What, what me and James and, and various other friends try to build is you need people there to help you not regress or come alongside you, accountability groups to some extent, right? Which is very rare in the world of men. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, this is what I'm thinking, and I know it's not right, but I need to talk something about it. It's yeah. like you said, you know, speak it, get it. Those are, they're like guardrails. Yeah. On, on the on the on the PCH or on any cliffside road, there's a, right. there's a guardrail there, and there's things we can do in our lives, like hey, I, I go to sleep at this time, or I put filters on my computer, but ultimately the guardrails that are going to help us, that will bump up against and come back if we do veer off a little bit, mm-hmm. are relationships, are, are people who know us, and um, and that we've built trust with over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 crucial, it's fundamental, and it's the hardest work we'll do, man. I mean, really, you know, we all have different professions, different vocations in life. The hardest work we'll do in life is relationships. And uh, and you've taught me that more than anyone. I mean, uh, I think you've mentioned it in the podcast. I've heard you say it over the years mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, so many people will, will be, they'll never be late for a business meeting, but they'll be an hour and a half late for, for, for dinner uh, in the evening <laughs> with, yeah. with the spouse and kids. And that's just, uh, that's out of whack. Uh, uh, and it's not doing the hard work of relationships, you know, across the board. Yeah, and while you're there, something's been on my heart a little bit too, is people need to remember friendships fail. And I've had some fail, and it's very painful, but friendships morph too. Two of my close friends right now that I drive to CrossFit with every morning because that's our accountability, I would have never guessed that five years ago. They weren't even in my life. Hmm. 
So you, you need to be open to God's going to put new people in your life. And I love people and collecting friends, but that's, you know, you, we're a new relationship really in the grand scheme of life, yeah. right? Yeah. Look, um, you do that better than anyone I know, collecting friends and, well, and sharing friends. So I just want people to be open to that. You don't have to go back to your high school friends or your college frat mates, right? I mean, continue to expand relationships. Really, people that will challenge you. Yeah. I mean, that that's a big thing yeah. for me. Yeah, is I want to come alongside people that are trying to grow. Right, and you're right. I mean, like, and you got to let some go. See, you do seasons, and, the, and sometimes it's family and boundaries. And you, you and I could talk a lot about that. But there, there are boundaries. There are decisions that we have to make. And to decide is an interesting word. It comes from the Latin meaning to cut off mm-hmm. uh, or to kill. And that's why decisions can be hard for us sometimes. It's literally killing off an option. Uh, and if we're deciding that we're putting up a boundary with a relationship, uh, sometimes we feel like we're killing a part of a person or ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's where it gets really hard. But if we, if we have, to your point, two things in our mind. One, relationships change and also relationships can be redeemed. I mean, that's the whole story of, you know, God's purpose in the world is relationships and relationships being redeemed. If we have that kind of framework, for how we approach things, then then there's always hope, mm-hmm. and we can still make decisions that, for a moment or for a season, uh, are difficult, uh, but do it with hope and with an eye towards the future and towards growth, and knowing that nothing's in vain. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you and I, dude, we have we have an amazing friendship, uh, yet we haven't seen each other uh, for probably ten or twelve months, and and yet. I just told you today, I've had like four or five meetings today, and I can trace all of them back to you. So the impact we have on one another is, uh, it, it, it doesn't, you know, it's not vain, and it, right. and it, and it, it, and it doesn't uh, uh, not produce uh, some type of positive impact. So It's been long enough for you to grow your hair to the jo- <laughs> to the middle of your back. Donnelly, Johnny Utah <laughs> from Point Break. Uh, so why don't you touch a little bit about because I'm a big advocate for um, your nonprofit, yeah. and and by the way, through the connectivity, Rawls Bell, my business partner, yep, is, on, is on your board. A fabulous young man. What, what just? What are you guys? What is what's what's happening now that that you is unique and, yeah. and exciting you? Yeah. So because y'all have had a you, you've changed a lot. Even yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think well, th- this is a great story. This is another podcast in and right. of itself of how organizations like individuals change. Healthy things mm-hmm. grow, growing things change. So if our organizations, our cultures are healthy, they'll change as well over time. And and that's where we've been at with Pure Hope. We've uh, you know because I came in and took over. Uh, had the privilege of, of, you know, a predecessor handing off some leadership responsibilities. We then said, you know, let's prayerfully approach this. You know, what is the Spirit saying, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Spirit-led approach? And then strategically, what are we going to say yes to and what are we going to say no to? Because uh, we have to make those decisions as an individual family and any type of organization. So over the last few years, you know, we've really um, doubled down on equipping parents and then other influencers who have that type of influence, leaders, schools, congregations, teachers, anyone who's going to be impacting the next generation, because we recognize two things. A lot of times uh, we think we want to impact the future. We go to the children or the next generation, you know, the teens, whatever it is. Um, But we recognize that starts with parents or with the people who are shepherding those lives. And a lot of times if you're not free, you can't hand off freedom. You can't give away what you don't have. So we've really focused on equipping parents, done that with uh, some great resources. You know, for anyone who's looking for parenting help, go to peerhope.net. 
and our quest parenting in a sexualized culture resource uh, would be an incredible tool for you. It talks about really, hey, what does scripture say about sex? How do I think about this in a, in a godly way? What does God say about it? Two, how do I talk to my kids about it? Three, how do I deal with technology in a, in a, like a rational way in our home, in a way that might even be biblically uh, oriented? And then four, how do we uh, lead and leave a legacy when I'm not perfect myself, when I've got mm -hmm. my own baggage, when I've got my own hurts and hangups? And that's kind of how we approach the subject. And we do that you know, around the world. The big thing right now is we're seeing more international traction. Uh, we're in Latin America and in Africa throughout the continent. We're pushing content in French and Spanish and building up uh, relationships. Because one of the things we realize is, hey, we're all the same. Mm -hmm. We had a pastor from uh, West Africa come to Dallas, do a deep dive with us. And one of the things he realized, uh, he said two things to us that jumped out. He said, first of all, guys, after going through this you know, with you guys and recognizing what your content really accomplishes, he said, I got to start with my family before I start with my church. My kids are on screens all the time. I got I to gotta, I gotta go deeper here. And secondly, he said, you know, this is what we need. We need the message of pure hope, that Jesus is our pure hope, that, that we're purified through our hope in him. We need the message that purity is about relationship, not accomplishment. We need this content. Uh, and, and that's kind of flips what a lot of us in the West would think of developing countries. You know, they need mm -hmm. water, they need wells, they need clothes, they need food, you know, the physical things. And that's true in a lot of places. But here's a pastor coming from West Africa saying, this is what we need because my people are suffering because of confusion, because of brokenness, because of sexual addiction, because of things that we haven't had the ability to minister into yet. And so that's been transformative and it ties to the film with how we've seen now the film as an executive production team be translated and just go like wildfire. Yeah, so we need to do a whole segment on Pure Hope and Where You Are because there's so much to unpack there on yeah. help. And I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. Um, will you, I, I didn't really plan on this, but as you guys know, if you listen to the second episode and, and follow me at all, that I've been extremely involved in the Heart of Man film. The, the most significant thing I've done in my life, no question. I mean, outside of having a family and Lizzie and getting married. But where would you update us on, you, you're more involved than the, what I'd call the day-to-day, -day, where we are now and what what's gonna what we're doing? Yeah, so you've already kind of covered maybe for listeners the film itself yeah. and its background and everything. And you know, there's a couple phases in it. And real quick, if you haven't, if you want to get updated, listen to episode two, and I go through deep in, in about a 15 minute conversation what the film is. Yeah, and you've played such a central part in that. I mean, this film would be there, but but for you and and your impact and influence, and and you came in at, in, in the first stage really, which mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, right after we got the team connected and the young creatives. Uh, you know, on, working on the same page toward this project. We came to Dallas and, and got the initial, you know, kind of seed capital mm -hmm. uh, to, to launch production. Uh, but that was like the first stage was the whole production of the film. That alone, I mean, lives are being transformed on set. You had the whole production team. You had a donor community because that was all charitable. That was a, that was a donation-based production budget. You had a community around the country and internationally funding it, mm -hmm. waiting for it, speaking into it, following on Facebook, you know, telling us how the teasers were transforming their lives and their view of God and who they were. Uh, and then we hit theaters. And after we hit theaters, you know, we got on all the platforms, uh, all the VOD platforms, DVD, uh, Blu-ray, um, and that's still where we are to some degree, although now we're in international theatrical releases, so we've been throughout Latin America, France. Now we're in the next phase, which is, I think, our team and the, and the grassroots community around this film ministering it, truly ministering it, because mm -hmm. there's a whole suite of resources around it, you know, participant guides and follow-up videos and a deep-dive counseling journey now with Jay Stringer. Uh, our partner, to really help people look at the metaphors of the film, the allegory, understand who they are and what God is saying to them, and then 
take some real practical and concrete steps towards getting out of the compulsive behavior and the uh, you know sexual addiction that they're dealing with. Um, and so that's what we're doing. So it, it, kind of in our role at Pure Hope, we're, we're dovetailing and taking the film and wrapping it through our other principles and content and doing conferences across the country with screening, worship around it, and uh, and then uh, you know letting that build out. Then the next phase will be retreats, which we've talked about a little bit. Yeah. We want to get men and eventually women away because I think we got to get away. You know, if we don't get away for small bits during the day and mm-hmm. then for maybe larger segments, that's when we get stuck on that hamster wheel as well. Yeah, it's uh. I love to see it's an evergreen product or her or film or because it's just going to go on forever and get stronger and taking it to the church body is a huge thing. You know, my church was kind enough to, to air it and it takes some guts because it's not, you know, this isn't some Hallmark film. Um, but, but look, the reality is, and, and I talked to my pastor about this, if 50 percent of Christians stop watching pornography, we go out of business. And it's just a reality. And, and these pastors can't believe that. I'm like, I'm probably low on that number. Right. I mean, let's be honest. So and that this is shame or guilt because we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Right. Just trying to equip people to yeah, to just being able it. to talk about it yeah. and say this is the reality that yeah. you know, porn, for example, you know, even before we try to understand it, so we can make judgments about it. It's the wallpaper of the digital age, which mm-hmm. is for all of us. You know, whether we're kids or grandparents, wherever we fall in that spectrum, it's it's the reality because of the image kind of driven nature. And then mm-hmm. we recognize how exploitative it is. And how spiritually and physiologically we respond to it. Then, then we can start talking about it. And once we can start talking about it, we break the power of the secret. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I was with a church in the Midwest doing uh, some stuff, and we were talking about you know, our ministry and, and how they could engage. And we said something about creating a culture of grace. You know, we need to do that in our homes and in our churches. A, a, literally cultivate an environment where there is grace, meaning there's permission to share, there's permission to open up, there's permission to speak, and you will be loved, forgiven, received. Just that, you know, there's not a perfectionism in a performance and keeping up curb appeal, uh, even even in our families. And uh, a guy raised his hand, he said, yeah, I heard you talking, you know, how, how would you say we create this culture of grace? Like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you create uh, an environment that's grace-based like that? And I said, well, you know, one thing I believe is that words have power. God created the cosmos through words. He spoke and there was life, and our words can bring life, or they can bring death. I mean, they convey meaning, which 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 has a you know incredible impact on us. They literally contain power. And I said, so when we name words, when we speak things, name concepts and ideas, um, we create a grace based environment. So you know, my question would be like, you know, do you ever use the word porn? Like, in, I mean, it's in sermons or in groups or anything like that. And, and he said, well, we got a men's accountability group, and we ask these six questions, but no, we, we don't ask anything about porn or, or anything like that. And I'm like. Well, that's a first step, you know, first step in cultivating an environment that's healing mm-hmm. and that is forgiving and that hence, you know, creates flourishing is that we actually talk about things that are real. And, uh, and that goes back to fear. We're afraid to talk about those things for a whole myriad of reasons. Uh, but when we self-give and say, I'm going to, I want to protect and isolate and don't talk about this, but I'm actually going to self-give, even though it's uncomfortable, to to open this up. I'm going to love in this way. When we do that, like you just mentioned at Park City's Baptist, you see all kinds of fruit. You see freedom coming where there was uh, this bondage before. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of that, I, you know, I owe you so much. I wouldn't, my brother and I lead a class at the church of you know, on the roster. There's probably 130 people, but I wouldn't have had the film not come into my life and you not come into my life through Jewel, my sister-in-law. I don't think I would be there today. Um, it just re it reignited courage in my life 
and, and a desire to help men, which was which was happening with the simple talk. And in mm. that that the first episode was about that, which you came to my friend James' house and spoke to forty or fifty men, and we continue that today, um, which we'll, we'll probably relaunch in the fall with some it's more. It's incredible environment. I I'm blessed to be a part of it, and also I'm just so glad that you're scaling the impact of that experience through the podcast, right? Because yeah. it's uh, you know, we need this, and um, and what you just said, like. These are the fears and doubts we got to fight every day. We matter, and we matter to each other. I mean, you have changed my life in ways that I probably should take a retreat and just think about. <laughs> you know, we should all take retreats just to think about how our life has been impacted by people mm -hmm. who love us. And, uh, uh, but you have done that, and, you know, me coming into your life might have catalyzed something. But a work had begun in you. And, and along that work, that w there were decisions that you made. And so I think that's an encouraging word for anyone who's listening right now, that wherever we are, this is, I think, the proclamation of faith. If we're going to live a faithful life, we're going to say, I am where I'm supposed to be, and I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing right in this moment. I'm, I'm, I'm here, and I'm supposed to be here. Now, I might be in the middle of darkness. I might be in the middle of some really bad choices. But if we can stop and say, okay, God... I am here and you know I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be here right now. Then we can receive. Then we can say, I, I, God has a purpose for my life because the whole narrative of the Bible is people being in places they shouldn't be mm -hmm. and being taken out of it, being led out of it as, 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 as a good shepherd is wont to do. Uh, so no matter where we are, we can say, I, I, I'm supposed to be here right now. Lord, what would you say to me in this moment? Well, yeah, the, the beauty of climbing the mountain is not at the top when you look at everything. It is in climbing the mountain, which is the hardest part. You don't tell the story when you climb Everest about standing up there for 27 <laughs> seconds. You tell the story of climbing and how you how tough it was. But that's where that's where you grow, right? It's yeah. where you get stronger. It's where the story is. It's not at the pinnacle. Yeah, it's the journey, right? And and you know we live in an age where everything's instantaneous. Right. So that that's being you know that message is being kind of fortified in our lives every day. That it's when we get this this thing or this 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 number or this this whatever, that's when we're there. But uh, right now is is the actual uh, the journey is where it's at. Right, and I so. You know, I don't do this every time, but no one are here is resources. I mean, if anybody listens to this and struggling and, you know, my number's all over the planet, right? So you can find me. You can find Noel. Um, you know, we're here to help. I just I encourage people, don't, don't, you don't need to sit around in darkness. Or we have places to go, yeah. right? People to help. There, there is no darkness. So I think we'll head towards the finale here. I could talk to you for hours. That's why we're going to have follow-up yeah, episode and dig in a little bit more on our profit. So a couple of things I do at the end, I do the fast five. It can be one sentence, one word, just a quick thought, top of mind, and then I'll give some practical advice, um, and I'll just go ahead and set this up now. One of my favorite books is called Red Sea Rules by uh, Robert Morgan that, that helps take people through very difficult times. And there's 10 Red Sea Rules, which I'll get to after we do the, um, the fast five. The lightning five. round. The lightning round, yes. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Faith. Trust. Family. Self-giving. Friends. Perseverance. Fitness. Mm, guilt today. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think stewardship. Okay. Finances. 
the first word that comes to my mind because where I'm at is margin. And, and a lot of these words all come together, but because uh, they're all about stewardship. Mm-hmm. Relationships are stewardship. You know, my body is stewardship. Finance is an extension of myself. And, and so creating a place where I'm stewarding everything I have so that there's, there's some margin mm-hmm. uh, to be able to not just survive. I mean, this is, this is what you right. do. It's you, tough. You help people create a plan, specifically financially, but because you're you know, holistic in your approach. Mm-hmm. In all of my life, how do I steward everything so I've got, uh, I've got... And to get there, we have to start with faith, which for me was trust. You know, I, someone said to me once, I know, I love God, man. I love God, but I don't trust Him. I mm. love God and I want to love him more, but I don't trust that he's good. I don't trust he's good. And maybe it's because my father wasn't good or maybe it's because some, I'm in the middle of you know pain right now. But when we get to that place, we just trust. You could almost say trust for every one of those good. five. Yeah. Right? They, I mean, they all roll together. All right. five of the Fs roll together. Trust, relationship, stewardship, and self-giving of those things. Okay, so we're going to head into a close here. What, where can people follow Pure Hope? Which avenues do you want to give? You know, social media, the the website. Give that, and then I'll get into the Red Sea rules. Yeah, uh, purehope.net is the website. Encourage everyone to go there. Lots of great resources, encouragement. Uh, social would be um, at Find Pure Hope mm-hmm. at Find Pure Hope on all of our platforms. And uh, yeah, great, great ministry and one that has knit our lives together and brought uh, healing, transformation. And I trust uh, for many people who are listening to this podcast that that'll be the same. Okay. Awesome. Such a joy. So the, the Red Sea Rules is my brother gave me this book, and I keep a case of them in my car and hand them out. So as you go out into the world or you're struggling right now, um, just think about these. The 10 Red Sea Rules. Rule 1, realize that God means for you to be where you are. Rule 2, be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. Rule 3, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Rule 4, pray. Rule five, stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Rule six, when unsure, just takes the next logical step by faith. Rule seven, envisions God in enveloping presence. Rule eight, trust God to deliver in his own unique way. Rule nine, view your current crisis as the faith builder for the future. Rule 10, don't forget to praise him. God bless you, Noble Shea. No, I just want to be a better man.